Welcome to the Force Cancer Charity Podcast with all the latest from the team that offers support for anyone locally affected by cancer. Hi, I'm Emma Ellis, one of the Oncology Support Specialists at the Force Cancer Support Centre. And I'm Jerry Gillespie, one of the Oncology Support Specialists. So Jerry, we've talked a bit in, our, in other podcasts about what FORCE does and what an oncology support specialist does and I guess we're here for anyone that's affected by cancer has always been our message and I guess our hope is always that we support people and then they get back to life after cancer but I guess the reality is that some people need our support if a loved one dies. Yeah and I think that's one of the biggest effects of some types of cancer isn't it that people aren't going to survive it and what I think one of the most difficult bits for me thinking about it is that all the medical resources are geared to keeping people alive and treat people and have a successful outcome and then when somebody does sadly die then everything stops or the medical services stop because mm. there's no need for them and there's this void of of pain and confusion and, and sadness at a time when we're feeling at our lowest anyway. And I always think it's one of the biggest effects of cancer is through death. And thankfully the majority of people we see do go on to live amazing lives and, and long may that continue. And, but for those who do die it's the, uh, the devastation caused for their family and coming to terms with with loss, no matter mm. how expected it might be, it always comes as a shock. So, yeah. I think you're right. Even when we've we've supported people for a length of time of them knowing that their their loved one is dying and is, it it, it it's still a shock, isn't it? That grieving might happen before the person's died, mm. but even then, it is people are surprised that it's still a shock, isn't it? And it's yeah. It, I think people almost expect, because it, they've been living with an uncertain situation and a really difficult situation for so long, somehow it will be easier, but mm -hmm. I think the moment that somebody dies, everything changes mm -hmm. in that moment. And we're a strange society in the sense that almost when somebody dies, it's like the professionals come in and they're most professional people, funeral directors think they're amazing, but it is that they're removed from us. And um, other cultures, I think, where the body is cared for at home, and there are options to do that here, but it's not a, a custom mm. of, of our society or our culture. <clears throat> um, and so it makes it doubly hard. They're here one minute and then they're gone completely. And it's, it's that, how do you get your head around that? Mm. How can somebody be here one minute and not the next? And I guess, how do we support then? How do we walk alongside people who've lost somebody that they love? I think the initial shock for the first few weeks, it, it is shock and there are so many things to do, so many legal things to do, so many death, the death certificate to sort out, insurance policies and funerals. And then <clears throat> I think there's so much going on then that sometimes people need that space and time just to be. And I think often it's when the families, you know, go back to their ordinary everyday lives that the person is left with the enormity of what's happened <coughs> and it's then maybe that mm. is the time that they might seek some kind of help 
Mm. I think uh, something that I've learned is there is there's no right or wrong way, is there? That people grieve in their own way, and there's various different comments that you hear that oh, you know, it's it's been a year now, so life's back to normal, or you know, there's those key things that we commonly hear people come back and say. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I know people say actually it must be a relief now for you. I think there is an element of that, but there's also it's not as it's not straightforward, is it? It's not like a linear line of this what ha- this is what happens next. This is how you'll feel at this stage. I think the most helpful um, thoughts about grief are somebody drew a line and then they just squiggled it all over the mm-hmm. page and then they pointed themselves somewhere in the midst of this squiggle because there is no there's no rhyme nor reason in it, it's different every day and there was no reason why it should be different every day. It's, it is what it is and I, and I think everybody will go through that confusion and, and trying to find a way forward in the confusion that you feel and that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the um, really interesting things, because often we see people a few months afterwards and maybe they come up um, a bit stuck um, but it was interesting one of the bereavement groups we we ran we all of us sort of came to this conclusion that you don't move on from bereavement mm. because moving on means you leave something behind you move forward and when you move forward you carry something with you and I think that's how it is with bereavement that when somebody dies we we can move forward and one day we will move forward um, and we carry them with, they're part of our history, they're part of who we are, they're part of our world and always will be, but it will be different. But we can move forward, we can get to a, a better day. And the other one that I found extraordinarily visual was said when my, he, this man said, when my wife died everything became black and white, there was no colour in my world anymore, it was like I existed. And then further on through his bereavement, he was able to see colour. I remember him observing a sunrise and seeing the beauty of that sunrise and and starting to realise that there was a subtle change, that he was accepting the fact that she wasn't there, but she was with him in a different Mm. way. And I guess that's one of the tasks of grieving is to to find them again through Mm. our memories, through our, our lives. But, yeah, I think it's the hardest thing we ever go through as human beings it's the loss of someone it is because there's that physical loss of the the person isn't there in the physical way but and I know we've talked about it before but when you're in relationship with someone it's not just about the physical mm. aspect that makes mm. that relationship happen is it so it's everything it's, isn't it? it is yeah so it's the routines it's the, <clears throat> the give and take it's the compromise it's all of those things and we take on different roles and then suddenly when somebody dies we just don't know who we are mm-hmm. and what people often say isn't it it's like half of me is missing part of me is missing and we've got to rely on ourselves again and often that one of the things that I hear a lot is that people find it really difficult to make decisions because mm-hmm. they've made decisions together and suddenly they're on their own so the, the confusion that that causes and even simple decisions can become really difficult 
There is, and there's something, as you say, if, when, if, if, if we're talking about losing a partner, I mean, there's mm. lots of different types of, you know, people that you lose, but in relation to a partner that... I think it, I've heard you say, and I love the expression that you rub the edges off of each other in order mm. to become, to be able to live together. There's mm. compromises made, aren't there? You work a way of being mm. as a unit. And then when, I remember somebody said recently to us, it felt like they were ripped in half. That that part of, by losing their partner, it felt like they were ripped open mm. and in half. And there's something around actually how do you move forward with them? They're, they're going to be a part of who you are because you'll have influenced mm. each other over time, isn't it? Mm. So how much of that goes forward in how you live? But equally, I think the rub that can go against against that is, can I say I'm going to do this without thinking about the other? Yeah. I'm making those decisions and living on. Yeah. Um, it's... It takes time, doesn't it? It's hugely, and I think there can be guilt that comes into that, you know. And some people will keep the, you know, the house exactly the same as when mm. they died because they don't want to change anything. And what might the other person think? And then reality sinks in where the other person isn't here, but I don't want to change it because it's comforting. Or they'll change everything around straight away. So there's no, again, it's different for everyone. Mm. Grief is what it is. And that's what um, a lovely man I supported, he said, it, it is what it is. And we ended every session, it is what it is. But we explored what that it was. And it was different every time we came in. Mm. But it is what it is. You're listening to the Force Cancer Charity Podcast. If you want to know more about what we do to support anyone locally affected by cancer, please check out our website, forcecancercharity.co.uk. I guess as well what you believe happens when somebody dies is a factor <clears throat> in how you might be with grief. How have you found that in terms of how that can help or not help? In what sense? So about what happens when we die. So Where do we go? Thinking, yeah, where yeah. do we go? Where does the loved one go? And that's, uh, I think that's probably, if we could nail that, you know, <laughs> Maybe it would help, mm. but we don't know, do we? We might have a faith, we might have a belief in the universe, we might have one of the loveliest expressions I had, which was uh, was a young woman who had breast cancer and she was very poorly. And I was angry because she was such a, a vibrant person and it just wasn't fair what was happening. And I said, how do you make sense of it? Because I, I was feeling really uptight and angry about it and she said well I can't stop what's happening physically it's happening it's it is again it is what it is it was happening but she said I believe that I'll become like stardust and scatter in the lives of my children and it was like wow I've, I had to sort of process that and think about it and um, several months later I remember Professor Brian Cox he said <coughs> We are the light of millions of stars that have died, but will carry on forever because they're part of the universe. And I, it was like, wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was, I'd love to have that conversation with her now. Is that what she meant? Had she heard him say it or had she come to that conclusion herself? But I guess as many as there are people, there'll be many um, ways of what does death mean? And I think it's important for us as people who walk alongside is what's our own understanding of death what happens 
mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I, I often um, get people to, to imagine somebody that they love who is still alive and I ask them just to close their eyes for a minute and think of somebody that you love. And then they think about them and then I get them to open their eyes and I said, so how do you love them? And they look at me a bit quizzically. And I said, if we answer this question, we'll be millionaires because it's about what love is, really. And I said, well, you've just said that you love this person, but they're not physically present in this room, so how do you love them? Is it memory? Is it intellect? Is it heart stuff? Is it feeling? And she said, well, I just know I love them. And I said, but they're not physically present, Mm -hmm. so how does your love reach them? So your children might be at school, or they might be at a job of work, or your partner might be somewhere so how does your love reach they know that they're loved you know that you love them but how does that work if you're not physically present and I guess death comes as the great physical separation but love doesn't end it carries on in some indefinable way well they're a part of as we said earlier isn't it a part of who you are and they're a part of your heart aren't they mm. well that's how it feels to me yeah that the people that mean anything or the people that I've had connections with in life they leave a, for me, it's like they leave a scar on my heart and it doesn't go, that's that's always there. There's a, a lovely expression, it's called, in Spanish, huello, which is like a huello, and it's um, it's like a footprint. Footprint, yeah. So if you leave a footprint in your heart, mm-hmm. it's always there, it can never be erased. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it is, it's that physical separation, because we can't reach out and touch, we can't reach out and hug, we can't reach out and hear their voice or... But, it, but we still love, and it's where that love can be misplaced. I think certainly early in bereavement, there's nowhere for our love to go. And it's how do we find a way of loving again, and loving them, even though they're not physically present. So we have to go into ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. We go alongside other people who help us, and they talk. Often that's what people say, isn't it? And nobody talks about them anymore. It's no. as if yeah. they're gonna upset me. An avoidance, I yeah. I can't be any more upset than I am. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it is quite a philosophical question, isn't it? I wonder. We should all ask ourselves. There's something called dying matters, which gets us to look at. Um, sounds really cheerful, doesn't it? Goes alongside the death cafes that people go and talk about their own death. Mm-hmm. But I think to think about dying does matter, but we don't talk about it because we're all going to die. That's it's the, the one certainty in that we'll know. And somebody wrote once, didn't they? There was a graffiti signs saying the first three minutes of life are the most dangerous and somebody had written underneath it oh, <laughs> as dangerous as the last That's three true. minutes so it's going to happen to us but what how why don't we engage with it why don't we think and um we think on a certain level don't we so uh, one of the reactions when somebody knows that they're going to die is, oh, I must get my will sorted out and and that's something we can take control of but actually there's a whole emotional will Mm-hmm. can go alongside that how can it's about legacy it's about passing things on isn't it passing our our stories I always remember when my dad um, my dad's had a massive stroke and the thing that stopped that he would start a story and then he'd roll into another into another and then forget what he was talking about which is what I do now and I'm probably just starting to now but actually when he died it was the stories I missed mm-hmm. and it's how do those stories carry on how can we um embody those stories in our lives as we move forwards I guess yeah. and I, I think that's the um, 
uh, I guess we don't do it so much now. We do it more informally about the, some of the things I'd like you to know. Hmm. Some of the books that we've been able to put together with people in the past, it's, and it's something that maybe we encourage people to do themselves now rather than us putting a publication together. But how do you use that? In it's really interesting. When I started <clears throat> to do it, I used it for people who are facing life-limiting illness or uncertainty. And um, I the first person that I... I I was called over to the hospital to see somebody who, who was facing an uncertain future, be given the news quite quickly and was quite poorly. Um, and the nurses were worried that he'd sort of gone in himself, he'd curled up into a fetal position, and they said he was trying to write a letter to his two children, who were 10 and 12. So they asked Muggins here to go over and sit beside him. And I went over and I, I took a massive risk, really, and I remember asking him, where did he have his first snog behind the bicycle shed? And I think the second word was off, I think. But he was obviously, what on earth are you asking me that question? So I followed up straight away, being that he didn't throw me out of the room. Um, what was your favourite subject at school? And it dislodged his thinking. Um, and he just shouted, geography. And I said, well, why was it geography? And he got into his lived experience of life and he said because I had the most amazing geography teacher and then he realised he was talking to me and he stopped. So I said, right, just think about what's happened there. You know, our families and our children or people around us, our friends, they want to know about who we are. Mm -hmm. That's what friendship is about. That's what interaction, human interaction is about. So maybe your children want to know about the funniest thing you've ever done or the most serious thing. Um, the most challenging thing, how did you do it? What's the biggest life event in the world that's happened in your lifetime that you feel has made a real difference? So you're starting to give some of your personality and that's what they will always remember. So when I did it, originally it was for patients, but then I had a lovely young mum with four young children and I, we sort of explored and wanted to do a memory book of him. So we adapted the questions from some of the things I'd like you to know, which we can probably put on, on the website, actually. Mm, definitely. Um, and it's about writing your life story. When I came back from that man in the hospital, I came back and I put a series of questions about different phases of our life, different stages in our life, and, and what might have happened to give it like a template for people to be able to express things. And this young mum took it, and she, the bit about childhood, you know, were you closer to your mum or your dad? What was your family home like? What was uh, your childhood like? She cut up different bits and sent it to different parts of the family. So there were his parents were still alive, so they sent it to her husband's parents. And then he was in the army, so she sent it to all his army mates to answer about his work. And she started to get this treasure trove of information back about things that she'd never heard of never heard that he did you know it was obviously things that had happened and never came up in conversation so she was able to put it all together into a book for herself and her children and it was his living legacy which was carrying on through those connections so it's it was really really enlightening and life affirming and they loved doing it it gave them a purpose in the in the uncertainty and the bleakness of their grief they actually really look forward to when the letters came and mm -hmm. was it another photo of dad doing something silly or when he was the other side of the world in the army so I think it so it's really not helpful. too late so some no. of the things you like to know you might think of actually talking to the person about what might you put mm. together for 
for family or whoever, but actually that can be something the family can put together. Retrospectively. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah. And I think um, sometimes at a, a funeral I've encouraged people to, to put a pen and a piece of paper mm. and ask people to write their memories down. I remember I did it for my mum's um, funeral and we just put pens and paper in the, in the benches in the church. And actually, for a few weeks afterwards, people went home, thought about it, and wrote down little things, and they were really comforting, but also quite enlightening, because it was things I didn't know about, because it was about their relationship, not about my relationship. So it gave other people the chance to express something as well. Mm. So it was really, it was lovely, actually, really um, a lovely thing to do. And I guess we we have different parts of self that are stimulated or come out from ourselves with the different relationships we have. So it's lovely to get that rounded. I remember someone saying to my mum once when I was younger, do you know, your daughter's different when you're not there. And it wasn't a criticism, it was just saying that, Mm. and, and I've been really aware of that, that we are, there is a difference how we might be in various scenarios or, or just with individuals. There's a, yeah, it's, and that's so it's, true, isn't it? Yeah. My younger brother is just quiet. He's very quietly spoken, very few words, but a tremendous sense of humour. And he was on the phone to us one day, and when he, we finished the phone call, I think it was in Denmark or somewhere, and he put the phone down, um, We and he didn't switch it off so we could hear him talking, and he was the life and soul of the party. <laughs> he was cracking jokes, ordering pints and all this, and we were screaming at him to turn the phone off. It was really funny. Um, but it was this different personality mm. completely to what he had been with us. Mm. And it's about roles we take in life, isn't it? It's about where we are in the family hierarchy. It's about who we are as people, really, and how we engage. But I guess as well for family, that there's something about that. that there's the, again, that... that ex, you used expression, is it? Ex, uh, pain, exquisite delight, the pe- oh, Exquisite me. pain. Exquisite yeah. pain. That there's a joy in hearing who they were, but also that there's there's a pain that comes with that of knowing who they were or or not having that. It's it's, it's a that which mix, we love the most that brings the most pain. pain because exactly. Of yeah. But I think also it, when we're facing the death of someone we love, there's always that moment where we desperately don't want them to carry on mm. and suffer. We mm. want to see an end to their suffering, but we desperately don't want them to die. Mm. And it just rips our heart asunder really because there's no easy way we've got to go through whatever lies ahead and it will be that they will have to die at some point and then the realization of what that means but so we hold on with everything and we let go with everything and it's that incredibly difficult place to be Mm. when cancer turns your life upside down force is here to help Just pick up the phone or drop us a line. We'll give you the details at the end of this podcast. So I guess there's something about, um, in terms of grief, it's not something you can neatly tie up in a box with a bow on top and it's it's going to be a part of who we are as we go through life in multiple ways, isn't it? It's Mm. about losing the people we love, but it can be grief as well, I think. Uh, There's grief and loss of self through cancer and its treatments can be there as well so it's multiple ways that it affects us in life and I've got a feeling that it's the sort of subject that we could talk about for hours and hours because it it does ripple into lots of different areas doesn't it? It Um, We were looking at um, 
one day we were looking at, uh, about loss and realising actually that it, it infiltrates everything. Mm. And I, I was thinking then that our first loss is when we're born and we cry when we leave on the security and safety of our mother's womb. That's the first loss we encounter. And then through childhood, it's you know the loss of our favourite toy or a pet or losing schooling to go to another school. The same, and it's how we deal with them. Mm. And often we don't we don't have to talk about it because it's just part of life. But all those little losses um, and how we manage them and how we face them. I guess teach us to how to live, don't they? But actually, when we don't talk about and we don't talk about death and we don't talk about grief, then it remains unexplored. So it is confusing, and yeah, it's the most normal thing in the world mm. because everybody will die and everybody will experience death, whatever relationship they're in, um, at some level. Yeah. So maybe there's something about us being more open to talking about it while we're living, yeah. in terms of isn't it? Which culture yeah. goes is not is not where we're what we're used to, but maybe that's the start of. No, we lock it away, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think that's what the, this thing called the Deaf Cafes were to give people that opportunity. But it's not the sort of thing you want to do on Sunday morning. You really go, oh, go to the Deaf <laughs> Cafe this morning. But actually the thoughts around it are important mm -hmm. and, and I think the only times that we really think about death are when we go to a funeral often or we hear somebody famous has died and I always remember Princess Diana's funeral and the outpouring of grief and I think it was for a vibrant, for her, for a vibrant young person had died but also I think people touched the grief in their own lives and the sadness in their own lives and that's why there was that almost given permission to grieve and that sparked it off. Uh, and I often think we should have a, a bereavement day. It's funny, yesterday on the news they were talking about Covid wall and um, COVID. Wall, wall and a memorial in Westminster somewhere. And, and evidently between the bridges there's thousands of hearts and mm. people have been writing names on. But it, wouldn't it be interesting, the South Americans have Dia de los Muertos, which is Day of the Death on in the Christian calendar. It's the 1st of November, or mm. Souls Day. But one thing that I love about that is that they often go and clean up the graves in the cemetery or or they take on something of the person who's died. So there they would clean the clean the graves and then they would take the person who died's favourite meal or favourite drink. So I can imagine there's a real party of brass bands going off and everything. And wouldn't it be lovely to do that, to have a day when we do remember? And so you have your cottage pie that your mum always made you and... Um, you know, your favourite pint of beer or the favourite bottle of wine. And it's a way of remembering and embracing, isn't it? Do you find that happens in life anyway? There will be moments in time that it's not necessarily a particular day, yeah. but there'll be yeah. something you think, oh, that's just what... Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of... It can be a smell of yeah. something you haven't seen for a while that just... Evokes that memory. Evo yes, it? yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the... It's a paradox of grief, isn't it? It's, it's the moment when we know that they've gone is the moment that we can find them again. Now that, I have to de-escalate that in my head now. I've said it, I've got to think about what, what I mean by that. And it's when we know that they're really dead and, and they're not coming back and the pain that we feel with that. But it's almost at that moment we can then start to remember the lovely things that they did because before that point it's too painful. Mm -hmm. We can't. And there's always that hope that maybe we'll wake up from this dream that we're having. 
But when we acknowledge that they've gone, we can then start to think, oh, do you remember when they did that? Oh, God, Dad would have loved this, or Bill would have done this. And we can start to remember them and embrace them mm -hmm. again. And I think that's that's about moving forward because mm -hmm. they're with us then in a, yeah. in a different way. But for the harsh part of grief, we can't do that because it's too painful. Mm -hmm. But hopefully with time it will mellow and, and we can find a way forward, yeah. There was a lovely expression on the last um, session I had with somebody recently. And I just loved it because we talked about grief and we talked about there was some guilt that came up about things not said or not done. And there was a lovely expression, it's by a, one of the Spanish mystic saints or something, but it's just a lovely expression, I love it, I want it on my gravestone. And it's in the evening of life, in the evening of life we will be examined in love. And it just feels that we've loved so much and that's all we'll be judged on, not all the other rubbish that goes on in our lives, it's just our ability to, to be able to love. And mm -hmm. it was just a lovely moment and the, the person's face just lit, lit up and she said, that's what I want for my her parents, is that they're loved wherever they are now. I don't know where they are. I have a belief that they're safe and everything, but they're embraced by love, and, and maybe that's, that's a nice place to be. Thanks for listening to the Force Cancer Charity Podcast. If you need support from Force, call us on 01392 406 151 or send an email to support at forcecancercharity.co.uk. You'll find more details on our website, forcecancercharity.co.uk.